Good morning. My name is Matt. If we haven't yet met, I'm part of the leadership here, help, uh, help lead a life group. And we, this morning, are back in the book of Mark. So if you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Mark. We've taken a few months break from the book of Mark, but what we were doing is starting in chapter 1, verse 1, we have been reading through the book of Mark and looking, really looking, investigating who is Jesus, what, is, what are the claims that he is making about himself, and if what he is saying is true, then what does that mean? And we're going to be uh, returning to uh, Mark chapter 10, so if you want to turn there, and the story, we're more than any other, the story we're about to read, the in what is really fascinating, this is the question, I think more than any other story in the Bible, what would Jesus say to the average Ottawa resident? What would Jesus say if he were walking up Elgin or up on Spark Street or over in Ottawa U and would, would to meet the average person, Canadian person who lives in Ottawa, what would Jesus say to them? What would Jesus say to you this morning? And this story we're about to read in the book of Mark, it's one of my favorites. Honestly, it's one of my favorites. And um, the, the reason it's one of my favorites is it's just one of those stories where Jesus goes off script. It's almost like Jesus just says something that is unexpected. I think he's going to go in one direction, and Jesus just goes in another. And he says something that, I don't know, just shocks, even offends, even makes the person in the story deeply, deeply sad. So that'll be interesting. Let's read, shall we, in Mark chapter 10 from verse 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, this is Jesus, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false, false witness, do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. So this rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus, and we have to see this. This man, who he's an impressive man. He's, he's a ruler, right? He's got some influence, he's got some authority, some power, and he's achieved that while still being young. And not only that, but he's also wealthy, He's also rich, and if we notice, he's actually rich in two different ways. The first, he had great possession materially. He's got money. He's got stuff. The, the text says he had great possessions. And the second way he's rich is that he's actually rich morally. Right? This, is a, this is a man who has done his best, done his utmost to keep the Ten Commandments from when he was a child. 
impressive guy. Now, this, this phrase, right, this phrase of rich young ruler, we don't, we don't, it's not really part of our vocabulary, isn't it? None of us here walk, in, walk into common along Elgin. We didn't, like, look over the other side of the road and go, ooh, look over there. There's a rich young ruler. It's just not, it's not, just not really part of our vocabulary. So what I would like to do, if I may, is just imagine how this person might appear to us in modern-day Ottawa. Let's suppose he's called Joe Goodfellow. Let me tell you about Joe Goodfellow, since you asked. Joe Goodfellow lives in Ottawa. He's, he's in his mid-30s. He's married. He's got two kids. And Joe Goodfellow helps run a management consultancy, specializing in NGOs and, and, and the healthcare sector. And Joe Goodfellow, at his management consultancy, gets to say things like, blue sky thinking, hit the ground running. Align the strategic verticals going forward. Joe is a rather successful manager. He's known to be a good guy. Joe is part of his neighborhood watch. Joe coaches his son's little league. Joe drinks ethically sourced coffee. Joe, Goodfellow, drives a Prius. (laughs) Joe, Goodfellow, recycles. And composts. <laughs> in the summer, Joe Goodfellow and his family, they get to the, the, his, his family's three-season cottage. And sometimes during the, uh, during the winter when it gets a bit ch- chilly, Joe Goodfellow and his family, they might pop down to Florida just, you know, in February. This is all tongue-in-cheek. I hope you understand. Please, please excuse this very Canadian, middle-class, nice guy kind of stereotype that I'm... Especially if your name is Joe... <laughs> And you drive a Prius. (laughs) I am really sorry. I'll buy you a coffee at the end. I'm sorry. But you see, my point is this, that in the first century, this kind of rich, uh, influential, comfortable, well-off kind of guy was very rare. But in 21st century Ottawa, this guy is everywhere. Because this is who we're dealing with. This is the rather successful, comfortable kind of decent, pillar of the community type person. The the man who seems to have everything. You're going to struggle, I think, finding in the Bible a more Ottawa kind of person than this right here. And I know this is uncomfortable because who Jesus is speaking to, who I'm describing right now, I know I am describing a vast majority of people in this room. Or or students, this is who you will be in 10 years' time. That's why maybe you've come to Ottawa. And so this question of what happens, okay, what happens when this person who is so like us, I think we can agree, comes to Jesus? Well, here's the interesting thing, because this man comes to Jesus and he has a very good question, it seems, a legitimate question. He says this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Isn't this a good question? For, for the Christians in the room, do a bit of uh, audience po- congregation participation, quick show of hands. If one of your friends, one of your family who is not perhaps a believer in Jesus were to come to you and say, oh, by the way, just wondering, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Would you, uh, w- would you be like, yes, this is a good question. Let's, let's, this isn't a trick question. No one put their hands up. I'm like, yes, I would love I would love, thank you, Melvin. Thank you, Andrew. I would love for people to come and ask that. Isn't that a good, isn't that an important question? And yet, 
we fast forward to the end of the story and we see this man leaving Jesus, Mark describes, sorrowful. We can clearly see in this story that it's possible to meet Jesus and go away deeply, deeply sad. So, so wh- why does someone who seems to have such a legitimate question end up departing from Jesus deeply grieving? Well, there is a significant problem with the way this man is looking at things. To to understand why this man gets so sad, so offended, and walks away from Jesus, and to learn how we can avoid doing the same thing when we come to Jesus, and we hear what he says, we have to see that the way this man is looking at things is very superficial. And as a result, he makes two mistakes. They're big mistakes. Let's look at the man's first mistake. It's one of mistaken identity. He just doesn't get who Jesus is. Right? He comes to Jesus and says, good teacher. And already he's gone wrong. Already he's off the mark. He says, good teachers. And Jesus turns around and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, just to be clear here, Jesus is not acting all surprised and shocked and going, what? Uh, no, don't, why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone and I'm not God. No, don't call me good. Don't call me God. No, he's not saying that. What Jesus is saying is, why are you calling me good? Why? Is it because you do think I'm God? Is it because you do think that I'm divine? Or is it actually that you have a very small view, a very low view of what it means to be truly good? And you will just apply that to anyone and anything. And Jesus is asking this because it makes all the difference, right? This rich young ruler is approaching Jesus like he's just a good teacher, like all these other good teachers. And yet, isn't he, ask, isn't he asking Jesus what the, the most, what I think, honestly, what I think is the most important question it's possible to ask. How do I grasp? How do I get a hold of eternal life? How do I get in with God rather than go into hell? I mean, this is a question of such significance and consequence and seriousness that Jesus has to say, whoa, hold on. Hold on. Why? How, hang on. If, if you think I'm just going to give you some good ideas, some, some good, you know, maybe if you just think I'm a clever philosopher and thinker who might have a bit of a discussion, throw some theories out there with you, then I'm sorry, I cannot help you. Jesus says, you know, I'm not going to pretend to speculate about eternity. But if you do believe that I am truly good, that I am the son of God, then then it's possible for you to come and receive the truth that only I have and no one else, no other good teacher has. Sadly, it turns out, doesn't it, that the rich young ruler, he doesn't actually believe his own words. He just thinks that Jesus is a good teacher, like some of the other good teachers he might have spoken to that week. You know, this is, honestly, this is a very common approach that I have found here in Ottawa. I've had a couple of conversations in the last two weeks where people have approached Jesus just like this. You know, if, if Joe Goodfellow, bring him back in, if he was sat somewhere here this morning, Joe Goodfellow might say, well, yes, that's who Jesus is. Jesus is just a good teacher. He's got some helpful, nice, moral, good, wise things to say, just like, just like the Buddha does. 
just like the Dalai Lama. You know, if, if Jesus were here today, he'd wear a nice blazer and do a TED talk. That's, that's what Jesus... That's what Jesus would be like. But when I, when, I, when I read the Bible, I don't see that. I don't, I don't see the room. Jesus doesn't leave room for that. I mean, when he talks about himself, it's a little bit more than just a good teacher, isn't it? You know, Jesus, he doesn't say, oh, let me tell you about the way to get to heaven. He says, no, I am the way. He doesn't say, oh, you want to talk to me about truth? I've got a few got a few ideas. Let's see. No, he says, I am the truth. Oh, you want to know the way? You want to know the way to heaven? Well, you just go around, around. No, he doesn't. He says, I am the way. What Jesus is declaring here is that he's much, much more than a good teacher. And for, for people listening to Jesus, watching him, seeing the things that he was doing, the kind of things that he was saying, they, and, and those people who would have known their Old Testaments, they would have seen the things that Jesus was saying that a man could not do. Thing, things like forgiving someone's sin. What? No. You can't, only God can forgive sin. And they would become so outraged at this apparent blasphemy of what Jesus was, was doing that they would pick up stones to kill him, saying things like, how dare a mere man claim to be God? And so this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, good teacher. And Jesus says, you have no idea how good I am. And that is going to trip you up. The man had no idea. He was speaking to God, come as a man. You know, he just takes Jesus as some good teacher, you know, an impressive man, one like him. We're now going to see that this superficial view doesn't just, it doesn't just apply as to how good he thinks Jesus is, but also to how good he thinks he is himself. And this is his second mistake. What, what is it that he says when he comes to Jesus? He says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? Ah, oh, this... This exposes so much about this man's attitude. He thinks that achieving eternal life is something that he can actually earn himself. He comes to Jesus and says, okay, Jesus, I want something to do. I want something behavioral. I want, I've got this it list, this big old list of very impressive things that I've been doing, and I've been checking off this list. Now, Jesus, would you add something to this list? Maybe something that I've missed. And the reason he thinks he, he can earn with this list of good works favor from God is that he thinks deep down he is a good guy. God is pretty impressed with him. Because, hey, he's better than most. Most people haven't. Most people haven't kept, tried their best to keep God's commandments since they were a child. Sure. I mean, this, this man seems pretty sure that he's the kind of person that God wants to be with for eternity. See, if the man has this woefully understated view of the goodness of Jesus, he has a tragically overstated view of his own impressiveness. He is self-righteous and proud of it. The rich young ruler, he's, he's operating with this mindset that he's put in the effort. He's racked up enough holy points. He's concluded he is a rather excellent human being and he must be pretty much there when it comes to earning that seat in heaven. And I wonder, I can't say this for sure, but I wonder 
if this is the first instance where the man's wealth starts to trip him up. Because I don't know, maybe if you, had, you, you were to go to that rich young ruler and say, hang on, why, why are you so sure that? This, you know, God is so impressed and so, you know, you think, why do you think God is so happy with you and how you're doing things? I wonder if he might just say, kind of just turn and kind of indicate all, all of his wealth. Look, clearly God is happy with me. Clearly God is impressed with me because look how much stuff I have. Look at this. Here's, here's how it works, right? I do really well. I work hard and I tick those boxes off and then God gives me money. He gives me power and influence. He gives me good health. That's how it works. Clearly God is very, very happy with me. That was and I I think still is kind of a natural conclusion that the the human heart can so easily come to that if we have stuff, it's because we deserve it. And if we haven't, then we don't. We tend to think that we earn the good things we have even if we're just born that way or born into it. But this worldview, this attitude, do you, do you see? Do you see that this is it's so superficial? It just works by just seeing, uh, seeing how things appear. And this man has looked at himself. He has looked at how he appears and he thinks he's good. He's good enough. The rich young ruler, he has an understanding that this, this world essentially is made up of good people and bad people. And you either fall, fall into the good people category or the bad people category. Sorry, I've just... Sorry, all of you lot. I've done this before, haven't I? You're all the bad people. You guys got off lucky. Well done for sitting over there. Good people and bad people. And clearly he thinks he's over here in the good people category. Good people, you go to heaven. Bad people, go to hell. That's, it's as simple as that. But the Bible, the Bible gives a very different understanding. The Bible tells us that the world is actually made up of all bad people, of various, sorry guys, all, all bad people, of varying degrees of badness, but with no one except Jesus having lived the good life, the perfect life. Psalm 14 sums this up. Pretty clearly, pretty starkly, it says this. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. When I read the Bible, when you read the Bible, it seems pretty clear, doesn't it, that no natural human is good enough to reach God's holy standards. It's Jesus... Jesus' subtle way, when he says to the man, no one is good except God alone, it's Jesus' subtle way of letting the man know, listen, you're not as good as you think you are. There's nothing you can do to earn eternal life. And this comes as quite a shock to the disciples. As they watch this impressive young, rich ruler walk away from Jesus without receiving the eternal life that he had come for, and they turn to one another, and they turn to Jesus, and they say, who then can be saved? The disciples are thinking, if this man, if this impressive man doesn't cut it, what hope do we have? What chance do we stand? And Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. See, if, if the world's population is really just made up of bad people who can't save themselves, then their only hope, our only hope, is if God himself comes and makes a way for us to be saved. I'm so glad. I'm so thankful. This, is, this has been Jesus' 
plan from the very beginning to, to come live the perfect life, die on a cross, take the punishment that I deserve and you deserve and to rise again to guarantee eternal life for all those who believe in him. I, I love that. I love that. Have you noticed that in the Gospels, in the story of Mark, we've been reading that the people who come to Jesus and the ones who don't go away offended, the ones who don't go away grieved and sorrowful are the ones who know they're a mess. Those are the ones who end up being accepted by God, that actually find that forgiveness. The fact is everyone needs a savior, but it's the ones who admit this that find the acceptance and the love that Jesus brings. As Jesus said earlier in the book of Mark, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Can you see how, can you see how the rich young ruler, he has this really watered down view of goodness, right? Firstly, he says, oh, good, good teacher. He calls Jesus good, not realizing, not believing that Jesus is God. And he takes that same word good and applies it to himself. I can do eternal life. He can't earn salvation. As Jesus says, no one is good except God alone. Now, what I'm saying here, what I've been saying for the last 10 minutes or so, it's really just the fundamentals of Christianity. All all the Christians in the room are going, yes, I love this. This is the gospel. Mm, Good stuff. And and we're we're reading this story and we can can think, oh, oh, this silly rich young ruler. He thinks he can do eternal life. He thinks Jesus is a good teacher. Go on, Jesus, get him. Go on, Jesus. Get him. Tell him. Tell him that you can't earn your salvation, good, rich, young ruler. You just need to put, you know, put your faith in Jesus and you receive salvation by, by faith through, through grace. Oh, or do, tell him. Tell him, Jesus. And then we read on and he doesn't. The man, the man comes to Jesus and says, add something to my list. Give me something behavioral. Give me something to do. And then Jesus gives him something to do. He gives him something behavioral. He says, okay, you want to follow me? Sell everything you have. What is Jesus doing? What is he up to here? Well, there's one bit of this passage we've read that really shows what Jesus is doing. It's where it says, and I love this bit, might be my favorite line in the whole thing we've read, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Jesus sees beyond the posturing. He sees beyond the words. He sees beyond the external stuff. He, he truly looks at this man. He looks at his soul and reads it like a book. Jesus sees the real problem underneath all of the outward appearances. And his solution is to tell him to give up all his money. And I know some will say, Jesus' approach here is too intense. It's too confrontational. But Jesus is treating the man as as a doctor would treat someone who has a very serious, let's, let's say heart condition, right? Really serious heart disease. I don't know if you've ever been in like a, watched a surgery take place or been in an emergency theater. Probably not, but maybe, maybe you've seen a, one of those medical TV dramas and you see all the, the doctors and the nurses with their scalpels and these huge things that bust open the chair and and cut and cut in it and you just oh goodness what i don't think you would have thought well I, I think this is a little bit too intense isn't it a little bit too confrontational doctors no you wouldn't have you wouldn't think that 
the rich young ruler is a bit like a patient who, who goes to the doctor and he thinks all he needs is a band-aid. Just let me go. One more thing. Just a little thing. And, and the doctor, Jesus, looks at him and the man refuses to believe that he has a terminal illness. He is unable, unwilling to see the severity and the depth of the issue. And Jesus loves this man enough not to remain superficial with him. Jesus loves him enough not to remain superficial with him. The rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus with this list of behavioral actions, something external, something impersonal. But Jesus, he only ever wants to get internal and very, very personal. Jesus looks at him, loves him, and his diagnosis is that he must expose the sin that's hidden inside his heart and is slowly killing him. And his sin, his, his problem is that God isn't really his God. This is, this is what gets exposed when Jesus says, okay, give up all your money. And the man goes away grieved and deeply offended because he couldn't bear to kill what was really his God. And what was really his God was his money, his possessions, his lifestyle, his stuff. That is what deep down was really his God. And I don't think that the rich young ruler would have articulated that in those words that's how he felt about his money i don't think that if joe goodfellow were here this morning that he would say yes i worship money i worship stuff and lifestyle and comfort maybe some of us we would not articulate it like that but that doesn't mean it's not true It's only when Jesus says, give it all up, that the man's response shows that something else was far more important than trust in God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know, it's it's interesting because it's gift day today. And I, I promise you that this is true. Rich and I didn't go, oh, look, look, the rich young ruler is coming. Yes, let us scheme together and rinse the church. We can really use, we honestly, and some of you don't believe me, that's fine. But we just knew we're going to have a gift day. Oh, we'll be back on the Mark series. What, wonder what we'll preach. Oh, the rich young ruler. This is going to be interesting. It just, we didn't plan it that way. It just happened. Just happened. You know, we have the same temptation here in Ottawa to make money and comfort and lifestyle our God. For some of us today, the idea of giving financially is not easy. As Rich was saying earlier, there's something we just think about giving this morning, and it's like, this is hard. I, you might even be thinking, I don't want to do this. Gift days are good. Gift days, they, they, they challenge, they can challenge this wicked tendency that you and I have to, to worship money, not Jesus. And money makes an awful God. So if, if you're like me, you're just as susceptible as I am, and I am susceptible to trust in the things of this world. A gift day, oh, I can do us an incredible amount of good. It can do us an incredible... I mean, we, we've been talking about how we're going to bless the city. Yes, that's what... I wonder if this morning, the biggest, the most immediate, the first good that comes from us giving financially is that we are spiritually blessed. It does us a lot of spiritual good as we give and our, we find our grip on the things of this world loosens. Some of us, we are realizing this morning we've been trying to serve two masters and it just hasn't been working. 
we must pick between God and money. That's what Jesus is saying to the man, okay? If you had none of your possessions, if you had none of your wealth, and you just had me, would I be enough? He's saying, let go of your grip on your wealth. Trust me with everything. One thing I learned from Jesus here is that he does not hide the cost away from this man. He absolutely does not want this man to think, and this morning he does not want anyone in this room to leave thinking that we can serve God and money and all this other stuff as well. See, this is, this is a very challenging, even offensive gospel that we have. That you, that I, we can't save ourselves. That the very things that you and I hold most dearly to our hearts are the very things that God wants to give wants us to give into his care. And when we share this news with people, you know what? Many people are going to do what the rich young ruler. In Ottawa, many people are going to go, that's too costly. That's too much for me. I'd encourage you this morning, if, if, if you're here and you know, don't know Jesus, please don't make the same mistake that this man does of getting hurt, getting offended, walking away. No, just hang around, hear more about this Jesus, because what if his claim this, that he is God is right? I find, Honestly, I find it terribly sad. Every time I read this story, I find it so sad that the rich young ruler, he missed his one opportunity. Jesus was right there, right there. But he could not let the things of this world go for that amazing gift of eternal life that he could have had. I'd encourage you, again, don't make that mistake. There's a whole room of Christians here who have who've found, wow, Jesus delivers on his promises. That, that, that Jesus has changed their lives. And I would hate for anyone to miss out on that. And Christians, even if we had nothing else and we have Jesus, we are rich. It's disturbingly easy, especially here in Ottawa in the West, to let other things slip into that position that only God belongs in. And to give up on those things, it's, it can be painful. I know. It's costly, isn't it? But I'm really thankful that Jesus did the same for us. He had all the riches of heaven. He had an intimate relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and he gave that all up for a painful life which would lead to his execution. Why? So that you and I could have the riches of heaven and an intimate relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit forever. We're going to give today because Jesus is enough. Not because we have to, not because we're forced to, but because if we're walking in freedom and following Jesus, it means, you know, if what that means, following Jesus, means putting a bullet in the head of the God of money and stuff, then okay, he is worth it. He is so worth it. Let me end with this from 2 Corinthians For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Christians, this is what we have. The riches of heaven. You know, the rich young ruler, he's dead now. All of his wealth is gone as well. What you and I have in Jesus will never rot. It will never perish. Let's sing. Let's worship. Let's stand. Would you stand with me? Let's worship this God who has...